before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We've been going through the book of Isaiah. Chapter 40 began a a new portion of Isaiah. It's an interesting uh, demarcation point because all the woes and the judgments and all the things that Israel was going through through disobedience. They finally come to a place of repentance after this miraculous deliverance from the hand of the Assyrians with King Hezekiah with one angel of the Lord wiping out 185,000 Assyrians. And now there's revival happening and Isaiah changes his tune uh, as the Lord is speaking to him. And he starts to uh, uh, present the nation of Israel with blessing. And what happens in life and similar to the Jews, uh, what happens is you go through life trusting in everything but God. And he's with you and he's not, he, he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's with you. He's, he's walking along. He's trying to convict you. Open your eyes. Have you listen. He's waiting on you. We're not waiting on him. And, um, and then trials come in life and those trials, all of a sudden the things you've been trusting in just have the knees knocked out from under them. And you realize I'm in trouble. And then fear comes in and envelops you because all these things you were hoping on your bank account, uh, your relationship, your, your employment, your health, something broadsides you, you get a torpedo to the vessel of your life. And in that moment, you realize all the things I've been trusting in can't sustain me. And then in that aloneness, that fear envelops you. And that's where God then says, I'm here. I'm here. And it's fear that causes us to listen. And all of a sudden we take our eyes off of our problems, put them on the Lord. And then we realize who God is. And then it's at this, it's at this moment that God is pouring into the nation of Israel because they're listening and he's starting to reveal himself. And you start to learn all these new things about God. You never knew uh, because now you're listening, you're desperate. And that's how God works. He's bigger than our problems, but he uses these problems in our life to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we're listening. And then he begins to minister to us. And that's what he's done here. Um, in, in the passage, you're going to see that he says, fear not for I'm with you. It's a command. It's a command, fear not, but it's also a promise. I'm with you. And, um, uh, in the previous, uh, portions of Isaiah 41, we're not going to read all of it, but I just want to give you context. Uh, God who rules over the nations is what's listed in Isaiah 41. He rules over the nations. It speaks of coastlands and a bunch of other things. It just means the far reaches of the, of the earth. And the God who rules over those has chosen us, loves us, and is described in Isaiah 41 uh, that when God tells us to fear not, we are to take it seriously. Uh, we're going to see that in a moment. But with that commandment is also a, prom- a promise that uh, because the Lord has told us to fear not, he also de- de- declares that I am with you. Uh, what more do we need? I love what Romans uh, 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the idea is there's nothing. No weapon fashioned against us will stand. No one and nothing can be against us if God is for us. And how much more prone to fear are we when we're alone? Um, I'm, I'm thinking, especially as, as folks get older, that's the biggest fear is being alone, but we're never alone because God is with us. And so through this passage, I pray that you'd be ministered to for me, this week has been one where, uh, this verse is deeply ministered to me and there are three verses we're going to read, but it's deeply ministered to me. Um, as you know, we're in the middle of an election year. Um, and, 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 uh, I've had a number of folks come up and ask for my endorsement, uh, and I, I get a kick out of it because, um, and not just one, many uh, have come up and asked for my endorsement and said, uh, you know, and I, I tell them I don't endorse uh, nonpartisan candidates. Um, and and their, their statement of uh, three of them was, uh, <laughs> I got a kick out of it. They said, well, that would be detrimental to me if you don't. I, I don't think I can win without it. And I'm thinking, if, if I'm your only hope, <laughs> you have serious problems. Um, 
You really do. You're in trouble. Um, and, and then as I was pondering this, because I, I, I don't want to be distant and not be of help, but as I was pondering, I was thinking to myself, if, if I were to extend an endorsement to a nonpartisan race, I, I, I started to ask the Lord, what do you want from this? And, and one of the things he said to me is, um, Rob, why are you where you are? And I said, well, Lord, because I want to represent you. He said, then why wouldn't you ask that of the others? Why wouldn't you lay out some of the things that are important to me? And I started writing those down. And so I'm going to share with anyone who comes to me, well, here's some things I'd, I'd ask that you would agree to. So we'll see how that works. <laughs> People are not the enemy. They're the opportunity. We're to be civil, not caustic. I understand that there's ideologues. I understand. I always look at it as a tug of war, and you have the ideologues at the other end. You have the folks in the middle by the big mud pit, and they're contending and talking to each other and taunting and going back. These folks just sit there. They don't talk to anybody. You get the heavyweights. You know, just tie the rope. And, uh, but, but they have to hold the line on either end for their ideologies, right? But it's the folks in the middle. They're getting in the mud, and they're getting dirty, and they're sweating, and they're pulling, and they're going this way and that way, and they have the most to lose. And, and everyone has a role on there. But the thing that's amazing is they're in the fight, even if they're just having a rope tied around sitting down. But it's all the folks in the circle that don't participate. They're just yelling, right? They're just yelling. I, I admire the man or the woman that steps into the arena. I have great respect for them. It's not easy. Uh, this week, I got a couple of phone calls um, from folks that love the Lord that just can't do it. Um, physical issues, family issues, and they've had to pull out. Uh, and and it's, it's heavy. So in relation to that, it's one of those things that you cannot enter into a contest of contending for uh, the safety of a society without facing some sort of trial. Uh, in the last 48 hours, I've driven almost 1,000 miles. Um, I went down to San Diego, came back to Thousand Oaks, drove to Long Beach, came back, drove uh, Burbank, a uh, number of other drives. Uh, I was in traffic. It took five and a half hours to drive back from San Diego. Uh, did it on three and a half hours sleep. I was tired. And uh, speaking to Hispanic pastors wanting to run for office, training them, telling them the same thing about civics and, and honoring God in, the re- in regards to that. All these things happening in the process, uh, tired. Um, my car was broken into. Um, and and we, we are, uh, the, the building, the new church is under construction. Our house is under construction. It's insane right now. We had to find places for our kids to sleep last night, you know, and pawning them off to different families. Uh, they were all homeless. It was tragic. <laughs> but one of the things I've noticed is that when you're over the target, much like a bomber in World War II, when you're over the target, that's when you're getting flack. And, um, and, and you know, anonymous comments coming in and struggles that we've been facing and things of that sort. And, and I, I, I kind of get invigorated by it, but you also get tired in it. Uh, not of it, but in it. And, um, and I, I, I started to really focus on what God had given me in these three verses. And I have to tell you something. It brought me great comfort. It absolutely transformed my perspective of everything. And I was reinvigorated and strengthened in the midst of it. And I pray today it does the exact same for you. I pray it ministers to you. It is a precious portion of scripture that God has picked specifically for you today. And I pray that you take it to heart. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to take a look 
at verse 10. The Lord says through Isaiah to the nation of Israel and to you and I this morning, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are increased against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. I, I feel like we should just, really, this is one, let's just go home. I'm so good. But the Lord has asked that we apply illustrations to it and see some of these things in our own lives so that it would be seared into our soul. But take this verse home, meditate on it, let the Lord minister to you, but let's ask his blessing now. Lord, we thank you for this commandment and this promise. We thank you for your faithfulness. That Lord, when we have exhausted all of our physical resources, it's you who holds our right hand. And you say, fear not, I will help you. And God, I just want to say thank you. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, what a wonderful father you are. And Lord, I pray through this passage that all who would hear my voice would be encouraged by it. And I pray, Lord, that you administer deeply to every heart present. And so, Lord, we commit this to you. We ask your blessing of the study of your word, which is living and breathing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. In addition to the myriad of things that I'd shared with you, probably one of the hardest things this week has been um, um, not my immediate family, but my extended family, my siblings. Uh, we have we've hit a pretty tough um, spot uh, relationally that had to be confronted and addressed. And all of you go through those types of things in life. And I labored over response for, gosh, probably four weeks um, and then I responded last night, and uh, now that's starting to brew. And 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 you know, to to maintain relationships, you gotta you gotta do the hard thing, and you have to confront stuff, and you have to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And we all know that any relationship that's worth anything, you've had to endeavor through some hardship and some trials, and that is what um, myself and my siblings have been doing. And um, it's not easy. It's not easy. And then fear creeps in. And, and part of that, this debilitating aspect is, is you, fear, you fear being alone. You fear being isolated. You fear the enemy. You fear folks that may be in opposition to you and they've taken up sides or positions. And, and you look at them as the enemy and you, you want to be defensive. You want to be defensive. And, and there isn't a person in this room who doesn't go through that. We, we struggle. And, and me of all people in the room, I, I go through that. And my initial response when I am threatened is I, I, I want to hit back. And uh, some of you have experienced that. But I, I, want, to, I want to hit back. And, and that never, never proves profitable. 
And I've shared with you many times the idea of Lincoln, that he would ponder the folks that had offended him. He'd write these letters, and then he'd put them aside and sit on them. And, and if you go to the Lincoln Library in Springfield, Illinois, just copious amounts of letters he, he wrote but never sent. And the small ones that he sent were ones that he labored over. And, and the, the result was something that was endearing and kind and, and, and strengthening in the community. And this is a man that navigated the nation through tumultuous times. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm thinking of these things. And then, and then the political season, you get to a place where, you know, the, the adversaries of your ideology are contending and, and it's, it's ad hominem attacks and, and you, you don't want to react to those. It, you know, you can't offend a dead man. I, I've been crucified with Christ. And when Rob awakens, which is tragedy, uh, and, and, and then I open my mouth, then there's problems. If, if I'm dead, things are good. Things are good. I'm not talking physically dead, so don't try to help me with that. I'm saying... <laughs> I'm saying that my will is yielded to God's. The only good thing in Rob McCoy is Jesus. All the miserable stuff I take full credit for. I'm so good at that. Um, but all the good in my life is the Lord. And so that comes as we wait upon him and we allow him to work through this and navigate it. And if you're, if you're reacting in fear, it's never good. If you're reacting in, in trepidation, uh, if you're reacting in, in dismay, um, it's not good. And this is what's so profound about these verses and why it ministered to me, and I pray it does the same for you, is it begins with a commandment, and it's two words, and it is a profound commandment, one that God demands. He says very clearly in this commandment, he says, fear not. Fear not. I I don't know any other way to simply explain that other than fear not. And, and if we were to fill in the blank, and some of you would need copious amounts of paper, what are you afraid of? Finances, relationship, health, loneliness, all the way down the line. And you're putting that in. It's caused you to develop a, a character that is something that no one wants to be around. You react instead of respond. There's no patience in your voice. There's, there's fear. You, 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 you put everyone at an arm's distance. You've already come to a conclusion. You're, you're defensive. You're afraid. You're making decisions based on uh, everything's rushing in. You have, you have no physical resources left. You're panicking. You're drowning. You're scared. And everyone around you knows it, feels it, senses it. And, and it's, it's awful. And God says... To you, Christian, to me, Christian, fear not. It's not a request, it's a commandment. What are you afraid of? I am for you, nothing can be against you, God says. No weapon fashioned against you will stand. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Why are you afraid? And here's why. Because with that commandment comes a promise. A promise that we we seldom hold to. And this is one you need to grab and own. When he gives you the commandment to fear not, he gives you a promise for I am with you. I'm with you. Rob McCoy may not be endorsing you. I may not be with you. Fear not. God is with you. Oh no, no. If I don't have Rob, I don't let's, let's work through this again. One is worthless, the other is eternal. One holds the heavens in the span of his hand and the oceans in the, in the hollow of his hand. 
One understands that a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without his full knowledge. He has every hair in your head numbered. Your lungs are moving because of his hand. You're, you're, he's keeping the earth held on nothing. This is God. That's the one that says, I'm with you. I may not be. No problem. He is. If you understand that promise, then you can calm down. Calm down. Be anxious in. We do this a thousand times and we'll do it a thousand, ten thousand times more. Be anxious in. And again, the word in the Greek for nothing is. No, no, you don't understand the political climate. Let's try that again. No, no, you don't understand the political climate. Nothing. You understand the forces arrayed against me. Nothing. You understand my health issues. Nothing. You understand my financial issues. Nothing. You understand my relational issues. Nothing. Why? I am with you. That's it. I'm with you. Life is filled with frightening situations. And becoming a Christian doesn't grant you immunity from problems. As a matter of fact, I think when you become a Christian, you get more problems. I waited, to, I waited till I became a Christian to commit my greatest sins. And for those of you who didn't laugh, are you judging me? Let us examine your life. The trials are heavy. The temptations are great. And you know why sin enters your life is because the temptation is greater than the God you believe is with you. The things you've been trusting in all of a sudden the knees are knocked out from underneath all of your idols and you're left with really the, the, the superficial relationship you have with the Lord that you have listed with your lips but your life has not reflected such a trust in a God this big. And it's at those moments where your knees are knocked out from under you, where you're faced with these trials, that you realize, God, you've never left me. You are with me. And it always happens when our resources, our physical resources, are inadequate. That's usually when fear strikes. Let me repeat that. Fear strikes when your physical resources are inadequate. You've run out. Your bank account is empty your schemes have come to nothing. Your strength is overwhelmed. I responded to my sister's text in her two phone calls. I didn't answer them. I turned my phone off. I just told her, I said to my sister, I'm tired. And I, I don't want to talk right now because I know that it's not a good time. You know the acronym HALT? Psychologists use it. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. You usually do things you shouldn't. I can't think of any time in a 24-hour period where one of those doesn't apply to me. <laughs> but last night, all four were, you know, all pistons were firing, and I'm thinking, this is not a good time. I want to sit on this. And I, and, and, and I was applying the verse, be anxious in. We'll have time to resolve this. I, I, I just want you to know I'm not avoiding you. I just need to rest. And, and we'll, we'll get to it, and we'll talk it through. And I love you. I love you. And in the midst of that rest, as God was ministering to my heart, in the midst of that rest, I just was so comforted by this idea that the Lord just simply said, Rob, I'm with you. I said, but God, you know what a week it's been. You know how I haven't had my eyes on you. You know how I've allowed these things to creep in. I'm with you. 
Are you tired? Yes, Lord, I'm tired. Are your physical resources exhausted? Yes. Your wisdom to handle the situation? I, I'm cooked. I, I don't even know uh, what I'm supposed to do next. And the Lord says, I'm with you. And you know what's beautiful about it? The conscious, the conscience presence of God, the conscious presence of God dispels our fear. Let me repeat that. The conscious presence of God dispels our fear. And it's at those moments where you have to just stop and go, I I really need to connect with you. And the Lord says, I'm here. I'm here. And the scripture says, a peace that surpasses all understanding guards our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. And it does. You keep your eyes on him, the author and finisher of your faith, and this peace that surpasses all understanding just floods in and comforts you. It was almost like the Lord was just simply saying, I'm all you need. I've always been all you need. I don't know that I can say that I've believed that my whole Christian walk. And I don't think any of us can. I think we go through life where we, I need this and I'll be okay. If I could just get this, I'd be okay. If I could just get this, I'd be okay. You're okay. <laughs> Calm down. You're okay. Why, why are you so anxious about this? Why is this so important that you cannot survive without this? You have and always have had everything you need. Him, I am with you, God says. That, that's, that's not, again, an exercise in futility. That's a reality. It is a promise. It's a promise. He is always more than you need. And truly, we're not all conscious of that fact. But it's amazing how fear comes in and causes us to have to dwell on that. He says, um, be not dismayed. Be not dismayed. I think about that. How many times in the course of a life do we face confusing situations? And and the Bible says, who's the author of confusion? Satan. And you're looking at something and going, this just does not make sense. I, I can't wrap my mind around this. And, and I, I have got to come up with some sort of a solution because this is going to, to boil over. What, what do I do? I have no idea what to do. I don't even know where to turn. I'm not even sure what questions I'm supposed to be asking. And I'm not even sure where to find the answers. And that dismay is a thing that overwhelms us. And, and I can think of a myriad of things in the course of my life that have hit me and caused me to be dismayed. Uh, losing your job. Your business going under. Just this week alone, ministering to some of the folks in the congregation and the things that they've been faced with. They're, they're overwhelming. I mean, it is a torpedo to the vessel of their lives. A husband or a wife leaves you. Do you know how devastating that is? You get in an accident and it's your fault. That's awful. You get sued. I'm just kind of going through this thinking I qualify. Not my wife leaving me, thank God. But, and then a lot of you, uh, I don't know if you know this, but our newest pastor on staff, Pastor Craig Linquist, his wife Lauren. Lauren's dad last night at 10 minutes till 10 went to be with the Lord. Here they are, brand new ministry. They've just moved to a new house. They've moved their... Her dad, his father-in-law, into the house. He had cherries and ice cream and laid down and, and went to be with the Lord. 
She had just lost her mom. Now she lost her dad. Wave after wave after wave. Do not be dismayed. I was blessed by their response. You know, what? my comment to them is, your dad didn't die. He began to truly live. I'm sorry for your loss, but happy for his gain. And their focus was totally on the fact where he was, and they rejoiced, and they were all together as a family. How do you survive that? Especially if he's the patriarch of the home, and this is, this is the last person you have to call to tell him about exciting things in your life. I don't have my mom and dad to call anymore. I can't tell him about exciting things. If, if, if God sees fit to come December, I become mayor of the city. I, I don't have my mom and dad to call and say, I'm so proud of you. Now, Lauren's there. These are times where we're dismayed. And the more we try to figure it out, the more confusing it becomes. And, and you know what? God said, do not be dismayed. That's another commandment. Be not dismayed. He says, I'll work it together for good. He promises that. I will work it together for good. And I'll tell you this, you can't figure out God's ways. You're going to get stretch marks, on, stretch marks on your brain. You, you cannot figure out God's ways. He says, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. There's no way you're going to be able to comprehend what I'm going to do. I take all of eternity, past, present, future. I take every issue. I'm working every aspect, every fundamental, every detail that you're even unaware of. You have no idea. And, and all doing that, operating for you to work it together for good while I'm holding the universe in the span of my hand. And I've got every hair in your head numbered. I know everything about you and I'm for you, not against you. And you, you try to figure out God, but you can't. I remember the one time as a sheriff's chaplain walking into a home and the woman gives me her dead baby and she says, help me. I just held that baby and I thought, Lord, I don't get you. Some of you said you should have prayed to bring the baby back to life. Well, Praise the Lord, he's given you a measure of faith. I didn't have that. And if you want to stand in judgment of me again, be careful. I was thinking to myself, Lord, why'd you put me in this situation? And God just simply said, I'm with you. And and I said, he's with me and he's with you. And I I, I just brought the Lord into the situation. I couldn't couldn't explain a situation. All I could say is you you need to trust God. I can't explain him, but you got to trust him. And all I can tell you is I trust him. And, and now I'm 53 years into this, almost 54 years into it. And I can tell you, if, if you're unaware of the Christian faith, you're unaware of trusting a God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand, I can tell you that without exception, the entirety of my life, he has always proven to be faithful. He's always worked it together for good. Some are still in the hopper waiting for resolution, but the lion's share of those concerns have all been resolved together for my good. That's God. He doesn't explain the solution. He just says, trust me. You know what he offers for our dismay? Himself. Is that enough? I'll tell you what. In the midst of that dismay, I get weak. It's hard to hold on to him. 
And that's why I'm grateful. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Lord, I'm tired. I got you. And it's in the midst of that where you want to trust him, but then the fear creeps in. And you could fill in the blank, and there's a thousand you could do. Fear is known as phobia. You just look at a bunch of them, just some joking ones, but these are true. Anthophobia, fear of flowers. I haven't met anyone with that yet. Unless you have really bad allergies. Claustrophobia, that's a, that's a good one. Everyone giggled at the first one. Everyone's silent on that one. This, this, is, this is one my mother had. Felinophobia, fear of cats. A lot of pregnant women have that. And as the fear creeps in and overwhelms you and you just get claustrophobic. And you start to wonder, Lord, I don't know that I have the strength to hold, hold you. The Lord just says to you, I'm with you. I will help you. I will grab you with my right hand. And for that fear and that dismay, he says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let, let me repeat that. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The same one that holds the heavens in the span of his hand. The same one who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand. The one that guides the night sky. I will hold you with that hand. He who's been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. You try opening up God's hand. Good luck with that. And he's got you. There are times in the course of your life you don't think he has you. He does. And he is always with you. In the course of my life, when I was trusting in everything but God, as a young child, I, I, I was, my dad was away in Vietnam. Uh, let me go back further. I, I remember one of the vivid pictures of, of this idea. If I, if I search back in my memory banks, I remember being a young boy, six years old maybe, 70, 71, we're at the, the Washington Monument and, and we're celebrating military or veterans or something. And all the protesters, as far as the eye can see, are out and surrounding this small group of, of soldiers in their uniform with their families and we're being mocked and ridiculed. And at six years of age, I didn't know. I just knew something wasn't right. I could see concern in my father's face, my mother's, all the children were there. And I remember being a little scared and I remember my father's hand just taking me as a little boy and putting me behind him. I was okay. Dad's got this. Medals, uniform, my dad just put me right there. And as I look back on it, I think, what was he going to do? There were hundreds of thousands of people. (laughs) But the comfort of an earthly hand isn't nearly as profound and powerful as the hand of God. I've got you. You'll be all right. The comfort my father brought me is is minuscule compared to what God has brought. But even there, he was giving me a picture so I could relate to it today. And, And he's always with you, even when you're not with him. I remember when my father was away in Vietnam and I I was hanging around with the wrong crowd of kids. I I had experimented and started to engage in smoking marijuana. Uh, We were hoodlums. We, we, you know, the gang of Coronado. I mean, this is like Compton. I mean, this is bad. (laughs) 
But I was going around stealing all the Cadillac hood ornaments off the cars and all the, the air caps. He's done this. And, and I, I, was, I, I, was, I was stealing them and, and, and big bag of them. And we, we, were the, we were the gang of Coronado. Vicious, vicious gang. Just... But we were just, we were just rats. Just, just, just wayward kids just going south, trapped in the jungles of prosperity. Just turning into rotten nothings. And, and, and I, I think about when I went out to my car and I saw it you know, disheveled and rifled through, I thought, I was the kid who did that. You deserve it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm on the other end of it thinking, how disquieting, how, how discomforting, what it does to a community. And I think that's what I did back then. That's, that's the heartache that I created and I remember in the midst of that and, and just the awfulness of it, my father being gone, I, I, was, I, was, I was on a road to a miserable life. And there was a man across the street in the alley. His name was Mr. Probasco. He saw me, he says, what are you doing? In the response of a, just a rat of a kid, nothing. It's summertime. You should be out having a good time. I'm I'm just doing nothing. Are you working? No. No, I'm just doing nothing. I'm going to surf and then nothing. And he goes, hey, come here. I want to show you something. Okay. I'm not doing anything. I walk into his backyard and he shows me this, this decrepit Sabbath sailboat. A Sabbath is a single man sailboat that looks like a Dutch shoe. And he goes, this was Robbie Haynes. Who's he? He's he's national champion, Sabbath racer. I go, he needs a better boat. I mean, this thing was rotten. (laughs) He goes, it was given to me. He says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make a deal with you. Okay. You show up here every day at this time. And we're going to work every day. We're going to sand this thing. We're going to repair all the cleats. We're going to do everything. We're going to get this thing back to brand new. And you're going to work on it. I'm going to show you how to do it. And at the end of the summer, not only will I give you the boat, I'll teach you how to sail it. Okay. <laughs> I missed one day and he says, you miss another day, the deal's off. I showed up, I worked, I'd sand it. And he goes, that's not good enough. We can't put varnish on that until all that's gone. Got to get rid of that. It's so stupid. I think, what am I doing? I'm going to go home. At the end of the summer, this thing was resplendent. It was beautiful. He says, you ready to go sail it? We're ready. I go, it is? Yeah. It's like Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> and we went out, we sailed. He showed me how to sail. I enjoyed it. I, I became a junior member of the Yacht Club because that's what a gang does. And I was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sailing this thing. And I'm loving it. And, and I come to find out Robbie Haynes ends up winning the gold medal at the Olympics. This boat becomes really valuable. I sell it later in life. I bought a car with what I made. <laughs> Cha-ching! It was awesome. But you know what? I didn't know the Lord, and Mr. Probasco did, and he saw a wayward kid, and he said, I'm going to minister to him. I remember years later when I'd become a minister, and I went back to Coronado, there was a woman who died in, 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 at over 100 years of age. Her name was Leela Dunn. She had survived two sinkings of cruise liners. Wealthy woman. She would walk every day in Coronado, beautifully dressed, just absolutely elegant. And she had a way about her. And she would just walk down the street. And everyone, Mrs. Dunn, Mrs. Dunn. Yes, hello. And she was so engaging and so proper and so lovely. And she lived just the next door over. 
Uh, and, and I just remember what a lovely lady she was. And I would always greet her as my mom would command me to. Hello, Mrs. Dunn. Hello, Robert. And, and your formal name, you know, and am I in trouble? No, Robert. And it was just lovely. Well, years later, I'm, I'm in Coronado. I'm on Orange Avenue. And there she is. And she's, she's in her 90s. I and mean, she's still just so lovely. And I walk up to her and I says, hi, Mrs. Dunn. She says, Robert. I go, you remember me? She says, remember you. She says, of course I have. What are you doing, Robert? I said, I'm a minister. She says, I knew it. I said, how did you know? She says, I've been praying for you since you were seven. What, what was he thinking? <laughs> you, you threw that, you, you, you stuck that woman on me? I mean, I was just, I was taken aback. He's, he, was, he was always holding me always guiding me, always loving me, waiting for me, not letting me go. When I think about this idea of his hand holding me, I, another story I remember as a lifeguard, I, I think I've shared the story many times, but for those of you who knew, I'll just refresh you, I, it was a little 12-year-old girl, she got taken out in a rip current, massive rip current. And, and people were pointing, and we drove down there, and, and they were saying, she's out there, she's out there. And, and it, was, it was beyond the purview of the tower guard. He didn't lean forward to see, and she had been sucked out. And, and I just grabbed my Peterson tube. I just started swimming out there. And I wasn't a Christian at the time. I'd had some exposure to Scripture. I remember saying a prayer, God, help me find her. And I'm swimming through this soup, and, and it's just waves and waves. And, and I get out there, and bless her little heart, 12 years of age, she's lying on her back, smart, trying to stay afloat. She's aspirated water. And I get to her, and she grabs my arm, and she says, help me. And then her arm goes limp. <clears throat> I, I put the Peterson tube, lift her up, and I give her four breaths, and I, I give the sign for the ambulance, and I'm bringing her in, and I'm trying to get through the surf, and the ambulance gets stuck. We finally get a truck back there. We get her on the back of the truck. We're doing CPR, waiting for the ambulance to arrive. We get her in. Thank God she lived. But I, I remember when I got out there, and she said, help me, and then her hand went limp. I just... I'll never forget what I said when I got her. I said, I got you. I got you. And I clipped her in and I just said, help me, God. And I I just remember that. Uh, Another one. Big surf. Massive day. A lot of rescues that day. And I went out and and a whole bunch of people had been sucked out. And I had a Peterson tube and they all grabbed, I think it was six, seven people. They're all like holding on. A couple of them could swim and they were keeping the others afloat, but the others were just like desperate clinging to this thing and they're all trying to get a hand on it. And this thing's holding them up. And, and I'm, I'm doing backstroke, trying to calm down. Hey, everybody, we're going to be okay. Just stay with the, stay with the tube. We're, we're, we're all good. And I'm bringing in, I'm looking. As I'm going backwards, pulling them in, I see this massive set coming in. And I mean, it is terrifying. And I'm thinking, okay, what, what are we, what, what we, what we going to do here? I said, listen, we got to turn around. They're like, what? I said, we got to get over this set. If we don't make it, the minute it knocks you, you just come up to the surface and I will find you. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. I'll find you. And I'm swimming as fast as I can as I'm getting up to the top of it. It turns us sideways and we roll over the back of it. I'm like, oh, thank God. And then the next wave starts to come and here it comes and this thing lifts us up and they're heavy. So they go back over the, the, the back of it and I get pulled over the falls and the thing snaps and I come down, I get tumbled, bam, 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 bam. I come up, I'm like scared and I come up and I'm, I, I get my air and I'm looking for them. And I've got fins, they don't. And I'm looking for them and I see them and they're just sitting there floating. 
Another guard came in. We got them all in safely. But like the little girl, I'm a feeble punk. I'm a rat who steals hood ornaments. And I said to that little girl, I got you. And that impresses you more than the God who says, I am with you. I am with you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you understand that gift? Do you understand that promise from the Lord? God's always at work. He is always at work. I think about the Lord. He doesn't forsake us. That's our new little Abigail. God doesn't forsake us. Think about your life. He took a cross, two pieces of wood, three nails, and your sin. And his right hand held to that nail. And that nail didn't hold him. He held that nail. He let every drop of blood pour out because he's got you. He took every sin upon him. He lifted it from you. Past, present, future. You've been placed in the Father's hand. He even took a borrowed tomb to reveal he's a God who overcame sin and death. He's got you. He took away the bondage of death from the devil. He's delivered you from death into life. His blood cleansed you, washed you. You're as white as snow. And he did it with his righteous right hand. I like this picture because it reminds me of my dad. And that one too. My dad had lovely hands. I think of a father's love. My dad was a man you could trust and put your faith in. He never let you down. But he is so minuscule compared to my heavenly father. I love this story, and I'm going to conclude with this picture. It was an Indiana Jones movie when he was searching for the Holy Grail. And these are these two actors. You got Harrison Ford and Sean Conrad. <laughs> you know when Cortez went to the New World? He had his men burn the ships. Miss Money Penny. And throughout the course of the movie, he would call... Harrison Ford, who wanted to be called Indiana, he'd call him Junior, because that was uh, Henry Jones Sr., and that was Henry Jones Junior. They called him Junior, and Indiana hated it. My name's Indy. It's Indiana. Right, Junior. No, Junior. What's wrong? Why are you looking at me that way? And, and you started to feel it through the course of the movie. He just kept calling him Junior, and it upset him. And this is what's so fascinating is at the critical point in the movie, and, and just indulge me because it really touched me. It may not you, but so what? <laughs> at the critical part in the movie, they found the grail and, and, and the woman's reaching for it and she falls to her death and, and he's left reaching for it. And he's got his finger on it and he's holding Sean Connery's hand and he's reaching for it. And it's one of the most profound scenes in a movie because it touched me deeply. I'll explain it later, but let's watch it now. Let's lower the lights, and let's go to the movies together. Junior, give me your other hand. I can't hold on. I can get it. I can almost reach it, Dad. Indiana. Indiana. Let it go. 
He called him by name. He said, Indiana. And he looked. And he said three words. Let it go. You see, in the previous verses of the chapter, God is dispelling these idols that they have clung to. And idols have to be propped up and bolted. And God says, you don't need your idols. You got my hand, I'll hold you. You don't need bolts. You got my hand. And all the things you trust in that have brought you fear, all the things you've trusted in that have cut your knees out from underneath you and the torpedo at the side of the vessel of your life and all of the chest pains and all of the worry and all of the doubt, God is calling you by name and he's saying, let it go. Grab my hand. He'll pull you out of the abyss. You think all these baubles and trinkets are worth it, but only God is who you need to be concerned about. It goes on to say in the passage of scripture that those who are incensed against you will be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And one of these things is that when you trust God, it's like the voice of the enemy floods in. And the mocking and the ridicule and all these things, those who contend with you, those who war against you, God just says they'll be as nothing. They'll be as nothing. They're as a non-existent thing. A non-existent thing doesn't exist. It's not there, God says to all of us, I, the Lord, your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Listen, we all have fears because we've all trusted in things that can't save us. And that's a good thing that you're afraid because now it's time to realize that you're not to be afraid because of the promise that God is with you. He's calling you by name. Let it go. And the last thing is this. Maybe you're not there yet. But when you're afraid and you're overwhelmed like the Syrophoenician woman with a demon-possessed daughter, you find this in the gospel account. She had nothing left and her daughter was just going nuts. She didn't have any answers to her problem. She had no physical resources and everything about her life was exhausted. And she came to the Lord and the scripture says she worshiped God and she used three words and you use it today. Very, three, very simple, three words. Don't forget them. If you want his right hand to uphold you, you remember these three words. Lord, help me. Just like that little girl help me add the first part Lord because he's calling the shots Lord help me that hand comes down and peace comes in and fear is dispelled and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus what a wonderful gift God's given us today it's for you Own it, live it, and rejoice in it.